Lord, teach us to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Rez. It is good to be back uh, with you after two weeks away. The first week I was sick and uh, so grateful for Father Jonathan and Deacon Courtney for filling in while I was away. Um, and then last week, uh, we were actually in Kansas City uh, visiting family for a week. So uh, just been a kind of a crazy couple weeks. But like I said, it's good to be back uh, with you worshiping this morning. If you are new to Res, if this is your first time here, I just want to extend a special welcome to you uh, from us. We would love to connect with you after the service. Uh, but thank you for being here and joining us in worship together this morning. Uh, one thing I just wanted to mention uh, that's coming up here uh, is that this next week, uh, the Flanagans will be joining us finally. If you don't know about this, we have a new director of worship who has, it's kind of been a long time coming because they were in England on a sabbatical and so they couldn't come to us right away, but they're finally uh, are on their way to, to come to Austin to move here to join us. Ryan Flanagan will be our director of, of worship and Melissa will be our director of neighborhood engagement. So we're so excited uh, for them to be here. Uh, they'll, he'll be kind of working into the music rotation over the next month or so. Uh, and I, for, for James, our current director of worship, I know he's excited too, just to, to have a break as well. Uh, it's good also to be preaching again. It's been a, a few weeks since I've preached. As you are all aware, we've had Brandon, Jonathan, Courtney all preaching for us. Uh, today marks the seventh uh, Sunday after Pentecost. So we are seven Sundays into this ordinary time season. That means we're about a third of the way through the season. It feels crazy to say that. It feels like it's blown past so quickly. Our readings for today find us once again in the Gospel of Luke. No change there. We've been in the Gospel of Luke for a while now. And here in chapter 11, we encounter Jesus on the road to Jerusalem with his disciples. Remember just a few chapters earlier, I I preached on this uh, a few weeks ago, that Jesus in the Gospel of Luke set his face to Jerusalem to fulfill the divine mission of God in the cross and resurrection. And for the rest of these intermediary passages in Luke, while Jesus and the disciples are on the road, we encounter all of these stories, all of these uh, events that happened along that road to Jerusalem. Last week was Mary and Martha that Deacon Courtney preached about. This week, we come across this story of Jesus in prayer. Jesus, Son of Mary, Son of God, praying to the Father as he continues on this road to Jerusalem. And when Jesus finishes praying, the disciples came to him, and one of them asked, Lord, teach us to pray. It's not that the disciples didn't know how to pray, right? I mean, they were Jews. They, they were the people of Israel. They knew all of the Jewish prayer, tradition, prayer traditions of the time. They were probably familiar with the Amidah, the 18 benedictions, all of these uh, custom prayers that were prayed back in the day. Some of those were like three times a day that they would pray. So they knew these prayer traditions that were common to the people of Israel. And it wasn't unusual for different Jewish subgroups at that time to have their own kind of set prayer that they would pray, that defined the particulars of their collective identity as a subgroup. In the text itself, the disciples actually mention this, right? They allude to this, that John the Baptist had a prayer that he taught his disciples. 
And those disciples would pray this prayer, and it would have marked their own discipleship as disciples of John the Baptist. And so before we even get to the prayer itself, we learn something about the Lord's Prayer here in Luke. There's something about this prayer that marks the collective identity of Jesus and his followers. The Lord's Prayer gives us a window into this unique community that was being formed by Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. And the Lord's Prayer, like so many other teachings of Jesus that have been passed down to us, would have been a defining feature in the life of that community, that, those followers of Jesus. And that is the same tradition that's uh, kept going all the way up in our church today. We pray the Lord's Prayer every single week. The Lord's Prayer has been prayed since the early church, since the days of Jesus. This isn't just a prayer we pray because Jesus said to, although it is that. But the content of the prayer has shaped the life of the church for centuries. If you're new to the Scriptures, uh, if you're new to the faith, new to the Scriptures, you might have noticed that the Lord's Prayer found here in, in Luke is actually different from the Lord's Prayer that we pray every Sunday in our Sunday liturgy. It's because there's actually two different versions of the Lord's Prayer found in the Gospels. The Lord's Prayer that we commonly learn and pray in the church is the one that's actually found in Matthew's Gospel. And although the two prayers are different, and likely Jesus actually taught these two prayers at sep- on separate occasions, they are actually remarkably similar. Luke's version is basically just like a trimmed down version of the one that, that we commonly pray and know. It's like the Apostles' Creed of creeds, right? Short and sweet and gets to the essentials. I just want to read a portion of the gospel reading this morning that includes this prayer, the Lord's Prayer from Luke. And I just want you to listen in on and notice the similarities and the differences from the one that we commonly uh, pray that's found in Matthew. So let me pray this now. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we, or for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And that's it. Luke, like I said, it's trimmed down. It's short and sweet. But what do you notice about this prayer? What strikes you as interesting or noticeable about Luke's shorter version here? For me, what's noticeable is probably, like many of you, is what's left out, right? What are the parts that are left out? For me, it's that central line in the, the Matthew version of the, the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what's missing here. That's what I notice. It's one of my favorite lines in all the Gospels. I remember one of my seminary professors saying that on earth as it is in heaven, as we hear it in Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer, is the center of the prayer, but it's also the center of the entire Sermon on the Mount. He said that if you had to sum up the Gospels in one simple phrase, you could do worse than just saying on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' life and ministry, his incarnation, is all about heaven breaking into the world. What is true in heaven would be made true on earth in Jesus. But Luke keeps things simple, right? On earth as it is in heaven is is essentially assumed in his prayer. 
And there's a lot more that could be said about the differences and similarities on these two versions of the Lord's Prayer. But I want to focus on Luke today, and I just want to highlight a few observations that I had as I was reading and praying through the Lord's Prayer that we find in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke's account, we have five lines, five simple sentences to the Lord's Prayer. And within these five sentences, we have two that have the word your and two that, three that have the word us. So two yours, three us's. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us and lead us not into temptation. The first half of the prayer is centered on God and his kingdom. We are first invited to pray, hallowed be your name. But this isn't merely just an acknowledgement that God's name is holy here. We're not saying, holy is your name, God. That is a true statement, right? And it can be found elsewhere in the scripture. But here, when we pray, hallowed be your name, Jesus is inviting us to take a step further than just declaring God's name is holy. Hallowed be your name is not just a declaration, but an imperative. Another way we could say it is, God, make your name holy. So right off the bat in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is inviting us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God where we can both call him Father and implore him to make his name holy in the world. And at at its center, this appeal to God to make his name holy is about being able to trust the character of the Father and his work in the world. Our psalm for today says that the Lord shall make good his loving kindness. He shall make good his loving kindness. And this prayer, hallowed be your name, is essentially Jesus calling on the Father to do this work, to make good on his promise of loving kindness to us. Father, make your name holy in our world and in our lives. From there, Jesus focuses his attention to the kingdom of God, right? Simply, we are to pray, your kingdom come. And in these three simple words, Jesus is connecting our prayers to the divine mission of God that is playing itself out in Luke's gospel that we saw inaugurated all the way back at the beginning in the synagogue where Jesus stood, if you remember, using Isaiah, and he announces the kingdom. Good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, the oppressed set free, your kingdom come, Lord. Bring your kingdom. Make it come quickly. Again, this is an imperative. It's not a declaration. Jesus is inviting us to call on the Father to bring his kingdom here on earth. And in both of these imperatives, there's a boldness here that I think Jesus is inviting us into. In the midst of the brokenness and the injustice that we see in the world, Jesus is inviting us not to be passive with God, but to call on him to come and to come quickly. We see the same boldness in Abraham in our Genesis reading for this morning. Whether he was right or wrong in his request to God, we see this same boldness in Abraham as he asks God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of the good that might be there. Make your name holy, Father, in our lives and on earth as it is in heaven. Don't delay in bringing your kingdom of renewal and life and peace in a world that is being torn apart. In Hebrews, it says, come boldly to the throne of grace. And I wonder here if Jesus is inviting us to come boldly before the Father. 
to ask him to make good on his loving kindness in a world that so desperately needs it. The second half of the Lord's Prayer here in Luke centers around three petitions. Remember I said those three us's. And I've said, I've heard it said that these three petitions to the Father encompass all of human life. All of the needs that we have as human beings. In these three petitions, we are asking God to watch over us and provide for us physically, relationally, and spiritually. So all of human life is captured in these three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. So first, we have a prayer for provision for our physical needs. Give us this day, each day, our daily bread. Give us each day our our daily bread. This is the physical component of our need. It is a simple prayer of dependence and provision. We need God to provide our every need, right? Second, we have a prayer of forgiveness and reconciliation with both God and with one another. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is a simple prayer to call us back into relationship again. Wherever those relationships might be broken, with God, with each other, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And third, a prayer to protect us spiritually. Father, lead us not into temptation. Keep us from all spiritual danger. This is a prayer of protection from the evil one. I think if we took an assessment of our lives as we have them right now, I imagine that they would almost certainly be filled with needs that range from the physical to the relational to the spiritual, right? And everything in between. In these three petitions, Jesus invites us to submit our whole lives from the physical to the relational to the spiritual all over to our Father in heaven. The mission of God And his kingdom coming into the world touches every sphere of life. And this prayer pulls us into each of those spheres. Lord, teach us to pray. So we have five parts to this prayer. Two that are focused on God, the Father, and his kingdom. And three parts that are focused on asking for God's provision in our life. And in Luke's gospel, this prayer is actually couched in a larger conversation that Jesus has with the disciples on prayer. And it has everything to do with the character of God. We can come to, the, to God the Father persistently and with confidence because we come to a Father full of loving kindness and generosity. This is the second half of our, our reading from today. This parable and these analogies that Jesus gives us. This is why Jesus is so insistent here. We get this famous passage that says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus is trying to couch the Lord's Prayer in the context of the the goodness of God's character, His faithfulness to us. My friends Matt and Ben recently wrote a book where at one point they talk about how crucial it is that we remember that God cares about us. Very simple truth, right? God cares about our lives and our worlds more than we do. That's the kicker, right? We care about our lives. We often forget that God actually cares about our lives in this world more than we do. 
And I think that is, this is what is underlying this section of Luke 11 and Jesus' teaching on prayer. Jesus wants us to know that God cares about us, our lives, this world, all of it, more than we do. You see, it's so easy to imagine that God is a far-off God who isn't really connected to this world. It's easy to slip into the belief I think we all do this from time to time, and we may not realize we're doing it, it might be unconscious, but I think it's easy to slip into this belief that God is just a disinterested bystander in our lives. We tend to be so preoccupied with what's in front of us that it's just easy to assume that we care about this life, this world, our, everything that's going on in our lives more deeply than anyone else. But today we proclaim the good news that we have a good and generous Father who cares about it more than we do. Our psalm today reminds us of this reality. In the NIV it says, When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. Though the Lord is exalted, yet he looks kindly on the lowly. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Even though it can be hard to believe at times, we cling to the good news as Christians, of a good and gracious and caring God. And this good and gracious God is the very ground of our being, closer to each of us than we are to ourselves. Jesus reminds us here in Luke 11 that God is our Father, a loving and compassionate parent, and is deeply connected to our lives and our flourishing. It's the reminder that I often think we don't realize we need or that we can easily lose sight of. That God cares more about our lives and this world than we ever could. Y'all, I don't know about you, and this is like a simple truth and it's easy to gloss over. But this is the good news that I need to hear every single day of my life. With life the way it is these days, and all that we're faced with in the world today, this is a truth that I need to like tether myself to and come back to again and again, when I hear it and receive it, it's like a weight that's lifted off my shoulders. I don't know about how it is for you, but this reality that God cares about this world and God cares about your life more than you do. And prayer, I think, is at the heart of this, right? Prayer at its heart is a consenting to this abiding care that God offers. My friends in their book call it the easy yoke of learning to trust God's presence and his power in our immediate circumstances, of learning to trust God's presence as an abiding ocean of self-emptying, cross-shaped, others-empowering, cosmos-ruling love. As we learn how to pray, we learn to live more like Jesus, who trusted fully and completely in the Father, who cared deeply about the world. And it's not that we get whatever we want, right? In prayer, when we think about praying, often we think, oh, and and even the verses that we have today might sound like, oh, ask and you shall receive. It's not like we always get what we want, right, in prayer. Jesus is careful to say that God the Father will give us what we need, not always what we want. The sometimes hard reality is that God's care and provision doesn't always end up looking like the way we want it to. This isn't like prayer of Jabez, prosperity gospel territory here. But when we come to the Father in prayer, the one thing Jesus promises here is the gift of the Spirit. 
We are promised the deep and abiding presence of the love of God by the Spirit. As I was reflecting on this passage this week, I was thinking of Julian of Norwich. I don't know if you guys know Julian of Norwich. She was uh, a, a famous Christian mystic back in the 14th and 15th centuries. She was actually an anchoress. So if you don't know what an anchoress is, she basically like walled herself in to the church. She like, there was a room that was attached to the church that she like locked herself into to commit her life to prayer and to counseling others who came to her. And at one point in her life, she got so seriously sick that she was on her deathbed. And in this place, she had these visions of God that have been preserved in these writings called the Revelation of Divine Love. And in in one of these revelations that she had, as Julian was suffering and on her deathbed, she was holding in the palm of her hand a hazelnut. And it was reflecting on the hazelnut, right? If you've heard the story, you know what I'm talking about. And she asked the question, what may this be as she's looking and pondering on this hazelnut? And the answer she received that was this, it is all that is made. It is all that is made. It's, it's like a microcosm of the entire cosmos, the entire creation. It is all that is made. It lasteth and ever shall because God loveth it. And so hath all things being by the love of God. So this, this picture of God sustaining all of life, all of, and all of us within the, the context of his love. And the rest of her writings, Julian's writings, come back again and again to this ever-present, all-pervasive reality of the love of God that alone sustains all things. The love of God that sustains each and every one of us. She says, God loved us before he made us. And his love has never diminished and never shall. As we reflect on Jesus teaching us how to pray this morning, I wonder what your day-to-day or week-to-week prayer life looks like. And there's no judgment here. What does prayer look like for you in your life? For anything like me, prayer can feel hard to come by. Life and schedules can get so busy and prayer can so easily just get pushed to the margins. It feels almost like, this is how I feel, I don't know about you guys, but it feels a little bit like the only way that we can actually commit to any kind of prayer life is if we did what Julian did and lock ourselves in a room and like get rid of cell phones and everything that could distract us, right? But more importantly, at least for me, that prayer can be hard to come by in life because we can so easily lose sight of the all-pervasive love of God that sustains the world. We need to be reminded again and again of this never-diminishing love of God, that He cares more about our lives and our world than we do. I think that's the basis for our, our passage this morning in Luke 11. And so maybe that is the prayer that we need to offer up to God this morning. Maybe we, like the disciples, need to hear from Jesus, not just how to pray the Lord's Prayer and the specifics of it, but also this larger context of that God cares more about our lives than we do. And in prayer, we consent to that care. Consenting to the love of God, that that all-pervasive love of God, And the reality that he sustains the hazelnut in Julian's head, and he also sustains us in our lives. So let's pray together and ask for this provision.
Jesus, teach us how to pray. And in teaching us to pray, Jesus, remind us of your loving kindness to us. Remind us once again that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. We need to know that you are here and that you are working to make all things well. By the gift of your spirit, give us a deep and abiding awareness of your good care for us and your good care for this world. Make your name holy in our world today. Make your kingdom come in our midst. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.